Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Live Dharma Sunday for August 18th, 2019. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Yes, indeed. <clears throat> well, today I want to tell you about being a gardener, home garden. I grow a lot of vegetables. And when I go to my garden, I usually take my two dogs. I have a yellow lab named Easy and a golden retriever named Raku. And they like to accompany me when I go in the vegetable garden. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we have on our property, uh, the previous owners had built uh, a horse corral because they had two horses. They said, and they fenced in this area, and it's a pretty, pretty fairly large area. And since we don't... I'm not going to have, we don't have horses ourselves, so I decided to use that area inside the corral to have a garden, vegetable garden. So I built oh, several um, <clears throat> raised beds. I got redwood planks and made uh, four feet by 20 feet. I made 11 of those beds and uh, <clears throat> took me a lot of time, but. Uh, <clears throat> I prepared, and then I filled them up with, uh, we have our own compost and got some dirt uh, gardening soil from the local place. And and then I, well, I've grown, I was thinking about it and said, what, what have I grown in the last 10 years? Oh, I've grown uh, <clears throat> artichokes and asparagus and beans and beets and corn and broccoli, cabbage and um, uh, cucumbers and peas and onions and peppers and okra and kale and melons and garlic and <laughs> I got potatoes and radishes and spinach and tom- <clears throat> tomatoes and strawberries and soybeans and sweet potatoes, zucchini and uh, <clears throat> winter melon Koga in Japanese, and Yamaimo, which is a type of a Japanese potato, and I got turnips and Swiss chard and collard greens and mustard greens. Oh, boy, my brother, Don, 
he described me as a city boy gone wild. And indeed, indeed. And my father was, uh, in fact, by profession, he was trained as a landscape gardener, and he that was in his blood. Um, he always, like he, <laughs> he, the way he would put it is, I love dirt. <laughs> he likes to get his hands in dirt, and he did that his whole life. Even though he was a, became, you know, a full-time minister and everything, uh, every day, just about every day, he would make kind of a little garden, even though uh, he lives in the middle of Chicago, busy urban city, and Temple is an inner city location. Some little corners here and there, uh, growing flowers and vegetables. Okay. Just on a little scale, but... You know, and any trees around on the property knows how to prune them and everything. Every time he goes to visit anybody on a family vacation or whatever, he always looks around and sees what, if something needs to be done <laughs> in the garden for the home or place where he's at, you know, he many times if he travels someplace, he'll, uh, like in the woods or nearby woods, you know, and he sees a little plant that he, Oh, and and if it's okay to do so, you would take it and bring it home, plant it near you know, you know at his home. And of course, they did. My parents had a pretty extensive city garden out on the balcony of their apartment building, you know, all potted and everything. And then every winter, they would bring them all in. Then spring came, they would take him out because the winters are pretty severe in Chicago. Uh, he had Bodhi trees, the plants, and uh, all kind of things. Uh, so I was influenced okay, when when I moved out here. Before that, I, I, I was a city boy. I didn't know anything. And I still don't feel like I know anything about gardening. You know, nature takes care of all these things. You just plant and <laughs> and I of course I did my best. I talked to people, try to learn and keep going, but you never become an expert, you know. Uh you think you figure something out? Oh, and yeah, these kind of plants, okay, yeah. The next year you try it, it's different. There's something very complex, dynamic, changing, uh <clears throat> all the time in everything. And uh so anyway, I was just saying one day I had finished working in this garden and I was taking a break and as usual my dogs kept me company and I happened to say to them, Hey, you're two good helpers. You're both my number one helpers. And when I said that, I realized that hey, that's good Buddhist uh, logic or teaching. Two number one helpers. And uh, I smiled, and I was reminded of a story in the Buddhist literature about that went like this. Banzan, who's a Buddhist monk, was shopping in a, uh, a local market, and he overheard a shopper say to the butcher, hey, give me your best piece of meat. And the butcher replied, well, every piece of meat in my store is the best. Upon hearing this, Banzan was enlightened. This is one of my favorite stories, and I think it's so crucial to the core Buddhist teaching. You know? uh, it's a rich, enlightened, living, uh, 
when you can live or feel with the phrase, everything's best. And I feel I'm so fortunate that I've gotten two number one helpers. Okay. Uh, they're both the best helpers. And how does one live such a uh, absolute life in a relative world? That's perhaps a fancy way of saying it, but uh, you know, we live in a place where we have to compare and rank order or you know, things like this. But on another level, okay, sort of like layers in this, in what we're where we're living, there is a reality and a psychological reality too. That there is, there really is no objective judgment out there. Any judgment that comes to compare things is comes from us, our own minds, you know. Uh, and if we could say, hey, even though that sometimes we have to do act, make certain decisions or certain act in certain ways that could be interpreted as saying, oh, one, two, three, okay, this is this is better than this in terms of this particular situation. Huh? But every moment, every being, every act is so unique. Uh, and there's no dimension at all to to make an assertion about the value that one thing is more valuable than another in themselves. Mm-hmm. This is the way nature is too, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and just like when I throw the ball for. You know, I have a chuck it, they call it. It's, a, it's kind of a stick, and then it has a little end where you can put the ball in there and then to get leverage. And then you take this and you swing it, and then at the end of the swing, you know, the ball comes out and you get a lot of momentum, and the ball and the dogs can chase the ball. It goes far, real far, farther than you could throw it without a stick. Okay, And this stick is called a chuck it. You get a brand name. Say, hey, I'm going to chuck this ball for you. Uh, they love it. Huh? And one uh, lay minister, in fact, one time they came for induction at our place, and you know uh, she was throwing the using the chucket, throw the ball for the dogs, and then she made the observation, "Hey, to these dogs, every throw's a good throw." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that is so profound. That's all you need to know in life. You know. Everything's best. Huh? Wow. <laughs> that is, uh, uh, that's all you need to know. Um, well, I want to introduce our guest to give us a diamond glimpse. And, you know, uh, he has two dogs. So I'm sure <laughs> he feels the same way about his own two dogs. He never says, I like one. One is better somehow than another. Okay. And it's the same with our children. Sometimes our children say, hey, who, who do you like better, my brother or me? And don't say both. <laughs> you know, they want to. <laughs> but, well, this is William Toyo. Uh, lives in Southern California. And he was part of our LM6 group. 
And uh, let's hear from Bill Toyo. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone's having a great day. As some of you know, I live in Santa Barbara, but today I'm giving this Dharma glimpse from Scottsdale, Arizona. And to take note, it's going to be 113 degrees today, and they forecast it to be hotter tomorrow. And um, Cole mentioned uh, the dogs, and we do have our dogs with them, so it's kind of a, um, a lot harder on them that than it probably is us, and so we have to make sure that we're giving them a lot of water and trying to keep them as cool as possible. Um, We're staying right next to the Talking Stick Native Indian Reservation, and I found that kind of interesting. Uh, Talking Stick uh, is a carved stick, and it's used uh, usually by the elders, and when they're having a powwow or any type of meeting, just as we would today, um, it gives the authority to whoever's holding a stick to speak his sacred word, and no one else is uh, supposed to interrupt him until he gets through. Then he'll pass the stick to the next person, and he has the, the same authority, and it continues that way until everyone in the room has their say, and this could be with your enemies or with your friends or with your uh, own tribe. Um, and then at the end, it's, it's um, held back to the chief and for to keep in a safe uh, place somewhere for the next time it's used. And what I found interesting about this, though, is that talking sticks are painted in different colors and have different animals on them and even different types of wood but um, the colors kind of struck me because um, each of the colors shares a a value or a meaning and uh, blue is institution prayer wisdom black is clarity focus success victory red is life faith and happiness white is sharing purity Spirit, light. Yellow is knowledge and courage. Orange is kinship, intellect, and determination. Green is nature, harmony, and healing. And then purple is power, mystery, and magic. And what I found, you know, that's kind of, if you look at that, it kind of shares our own Buddhist values. Um, and also the animals that are carved on there can be really compared to the Chinese zodiac I was noticing each one having its own value and, and meaning to it. Um, a couple of bright notes also today. Um, uh, this week was the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, and also I think it was the 50th anniversary of the movie Easy Rider. And sadly, we, uh, some of us probably know that Peter Fonda died this week, this past week. Um, so I thought I'd mention that. Uh, being uh, uh, one of those kind of hippies back in that day. Um, So as a Buddhist, uh, it's sometimes hard for me to keep entering into one political platform or another, especially living in today's climate and the aftermath of 
as we know, the recent shootings in Gilroy, which is not too far from where we live in Santa Barbara, and then, of course, Dayton and El Paso, which is very sad, but seems like we see and hear of it too often. Uh, even before this all happened, um, I kind of started putting this outline together because it's, I'm writing this because I pretty much spend every day thinking about the forces of discrimination, bigotry, um, hatred in this nation, in this world that we live in today, just as I did way back in the 60s during the Civil Rights Movement in the Vietnam era. Growing up, I witnessed firsthand growing up in the Deep South. I went to an all-white school just blocks from the home of Martin Luther King and literally across the street from the Greyhound bus station where the clash with the Freedom Riders took place. I always had Afro-American, black or colored friends, as they were called back then, and I was often bullied for it and also sometimes got into a skirmish or two because of it. But I was very fortunate to to have been raised by a very compassionate and kind mother and a father and with help from a wonderful Afro-American woman who worked for my family who was a single mom with 10 children of her own. She was really a a savior in my life, to say the least. I also credit other people uh, close to me and my family, my uncle, teaching me about the importance of giving and the meaning of equality even before it became an issue like it is today. And also that everyone is alike. I mean, they treat each other with respect. I can never remember a racist word spoken in our house. It might have, but I just don't remember it. Even though you were exposed to it in this house commonly on a daily basis, along, along with hatred, violence, and prejudice, it was there just like today. But as Buddhists, I believe we can do our part in combating anger, ignorance, and violence. We find um, in most Buddhist traditions our precept of nonviolence, uh, non-harm, non-unnecessary harm, and we should always support our non-harm precept in any way we can. We need only to turn our hearts in a line, and unless we do, I really feel a little will change. Buddhism isn't violent; human nature is. Buddha once said, all beings fear death, and they all fear the pain of a club. Think, how do, you make, how do they make you feel? Then do not kill, do not club, live peacefully with all beings, and do not add to the violence of this world. Harm no one here, and you will pass into your next life in peace, as the Buddha said. Like all of us, I was born with Buddha nature not even knowing what a Buddha was until uh, probably my early 20s. But I always refused to let the cultural environment of the South influence me. It was always natural for me to have my own vision and see beyond what was just in front of me. I believe I must have also been born with an activist gene. Even after returning from the military and finishing up my education, I joined in protesting against the war that I was just involved in, but still defending my pride and serving my country as I do today. 
But no matter how much I protest or march or write uh, in today's world, it's not going to change that 40% that are bigots and still have hatred and racism in their blood. White supremacy is alive and thriving in our nation systems. While the Ku Klux Klan no longer regularly marches through squares throughout the South, the new generations of hate have developed innovative and unfortunately effective ways of influencing recruiting new members by various social media and internet platforms. I've been a strong advocate for the Southern Property Law Center, even with them in the late, even working with them in the late 60s after meeting Morris Dees, an American attorney who is known as a co-founder and former chief trial counsel for the uh, SPLC in Montgomery, Alabama. The most important thing that we can do is lead by example so that this generation, this new generation we live in, and ourselves will be infected with kindness, compassion. It's very contagious and it also rubs off very easily. We don't know, we don't achieve equality and justice just through the courts and investigating reporting alone. The future of our great country lies in the hands of today's youth. We can encourage our children and young people to challenge prejudice and hate and learn how to be agents of change in their own lives. As a Buddhist, I feel with great urgency that we all work towards teaching tolerance so the days when the ideals of equal justice and equal opportunity will be a reality. I truly believe that the millennial will get it they are going to save this planet and influence many generations that follow. We have to remember when we had a personal connection with each other and shared our thoughts and views together before cell phones, computers, and artificial intelligence started controlling our lifestyle and even our values. We need to get back to taking the time to stop and take that breath and breathe in all that earth gives us each day and be thankful. We can create this change by living the Buddhist way, by teaching our children what hate is all about, and the most important to you, never to use the word hate. Treat it like a four-letter word. Maybe use, for example, I don't like. Also that we are all one. With the exception of Native Americans, we're all immigrants to these shores some by choice, some horrifically by force against their will. We're all together in this great experiment called democracy. The experience can only reach a high level of success when we work together with our neighbors, when one's color, faith, and sexual orientation are irrelevant. We must remain vigilant to make that H unwelcome in our sanghas, in our schools, and in our homes. As Buddhists, we can set a good example by living the Buddhist way. Remember, the act of kindness causes the act of kindness of another. I haven't made the decision to eliminate hate and replace it with a bit of compassion and understanding. The Buddha taught that hatred is a form of suffering. Holding hatred in the mind and the heart is like clutching a hot coal in your hand. 
and also like we feel and uh, find in the Heart Sutra. The realization of emptiness eradicates all delusions like anger and hatred. I was once told you can learn to turn ignorance into wisdom, hatred into compassion, and greed into generosity. I'll leave you with another little thought to think about. Have you ever noticed when you blow into a dog's face, he gets mad at you? But when you take him in a car, he sticks his head out the window. Thank you very much. and hope everyone has a great day. And I hope it's a lot cooler where you are. Thank you. Thank you very much. What a timely topic. And I guess it's, anytime is timely, isn't it? Uh, uh, we see, when you think At the same time, the way society is and the way individuals are and the way I am uh, about whether we really tolerate, encourage diversity, Um, Buddhism is is a tremendous example of Promoting this, you know, don't, don't uh, and it's always been. I mean, you, it's really reared its head in tolerance right now, you know, because of the political situation and all the things going on. Huh? But uh, like they say, uh, well, the battles that were fought in the '60s, civil rights things, is still going on. It, 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 it it's not over. And you can start to go back into history, and that's how deep-rooted this is. And one one has to, I think, uh, uh, find out who oneself is, okay? meaning, um, well, that's to realize Buddha nature, that you have this Buddha nature. And then once you know yourself, then be yourself and live it. And you don't worry about, uh, well, will, will, you know, will what I do make an overall 100% permanent change in the world? I don't think Buddhists live, uh, think like that. Means equals the end. Huh? Uh, some people say, well, uh, <clears throat> the end justifies the means in the sense that you could do something bad if it's work, going to work for some other goal, or maybe a parent might hit a hit a child and say, "Well, this is for you. this is for your uh, own benefit. Don't be mean to others." That's pretty subtle, isn't it? When you're going to hit somebody and say, "Don't you hit that other child?" What's going on there? Okay. Uh, they say education teaching is only one effective way, and that is by example. So you don't lecture to, you know, and you don't have to lecture to oneself either. Okay? You you live it, you be it. Okay? Sometimes it's called walking the talk, um, and uh, but I, it seems like uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, well, I was thinking about. Um, 
well, I could say I have a lot of uh, associations that I that came to my mind when I was listening to the Dharma Glimpse. Um, uh, Bill Toyo is uh, really, uh, he doesn't walk the talk, okay? I have to say. Huh? Uh, and he he has come to Brighton uh maybe how many years in a row to, to induction when he's come to visit us on other occasions. So we've got time to spend together. And, and uh, uh, some of the stories of his childhood experiences he would share. And he said, for some reason, even when he was a small boy, he always wanted to have a lot of empathy for others. This is the crucial thing. This is that, this is the basis of compassion. You know, compassion, I thought was a, was a brilliant, well, I don't know if you call it an insight, but a Buddhist teacher said, you know, compassion doesn't mean the weak, I mean, the strong helping the weak or the better off helping, you know, sort of giving a hand up to someone that's downtrodden, you know, that the higher, that the one, uh, not that kind of, that's not compassion. Compassion is Suffering together. Say, hey, I know how you feel. And it's holding hands and crying together. It's not like, oh, the superior is going to help the inferior or, or in some fashion like that. No, we're together. Okay? That's the first noble truth. Okay? As human beings, okay, and that's uh, empathy, meaning that you are, you you know the feelings of others. And that's why even gratitude, I think it was another profound lesson that when someone said, um, gratitude sometimes is very shallow because you say, oh, take, take uh, uh, mealtime, uh, you know, grace. Uh, oh, thank you for this food. You know, that's actually is kind of shallow because when you say thank you for this, thank you for that, you're, you're, you're getting all this stuff, <laughs> you know, favors or whatever. And you're just thinking about it from one point of view. But why not have empathy and think about it from the giver, the giver's side? Sometimes we, they, they, they're not freely giving because you took from them. Okay? And, and <clears throat> some Buddhist teachers have said, isn't it a shame that others have to die so that we could live? That's essentially what the food is. Living beings. So, so, so even deeper than, oh, thank you for the food is, there's sorrow in gratitude. Gee, these animals and plants, even what plants are alive too, they all, you know, uh, it's a shame that I have to, people have, other beings have to suffer, even give their lives for me to live. That's empathy, man. You know, how does one live like that? It's a challenge. Okay? It really leads to real humility and deep gratitude. Okay? That's Buddhist gratitude. It's not sort of a good feeling of, hey, I got this. Hey, well, I'm thankful. Sure, I'm thankful. 
that's pretty sunny actually. But there's a there's a dark sadness there of if you have real empathy, okay, like the Buddha. You know, it, there's a famous story when he was a young child and he was <clears throat> watching the farmers plant in the spring and turning the plow, turning the soil over, and then a worm got exposed and a bird came down and got the worm. Right away, he said, oh, the poor worm. Huh? Eaten up. Is this the way that life is? Okay. How, how do we live with bad things happening, the reality of these these things in nature and so forth. Yeah. All living beings have to get sick. All living beings have to die. What? Okay. This, he felt this deep inside. Gee, my family's not, my parents, they're not, you know, it just dawned on him. Uh, I'm going to lose all the ones the people I love. It's a fact. It's inevitable. How do, not just I, but how do humanity live with these kinds of realities? And he just saw the most basic, first noble truth of the reality of life. And then he did something about it in a very positive way. Uh, and that was his teachings. Okay. Um, but this one aspect of intolerance, I, I was, as I mentioned, I was, had a lot of associations with the, with the uh, different aspects in Dharma Glimpse and, you know, uh, <clears throat> Woodstock, 50th anniversary, and you know, when you think about the 60s and the hippies, uh, uh, that's a pretty good foundation for, well, we, just, we, we don't have to say Buddhist teachings, but it's human teachings, okay? Uh, that we don't have to not get along. <laughs> like even uh, Rodney King, you know, <laughs> pretty profound. Okay. He was the black that was beaten by the police and created a big uproar in L.A. He said, can't we just get all get along? Wow. How deep is that? Huh? But, uh, and so I like, I think that the, uh, the, the hippie movements, that, that was a tremendous time in the 60s. But he said, here are some ideals and let's try to live them. Huh? Let's not just lead a hypocritical life. Okay. and talk good, but, okay, so forth. And so at Woodstock, you find all kinds of people together. You saw, you know, all kinds of diversity, huh? uh, not feeling that social norms have to be so narrow and, oh, you better conform, you better, you know. You could be yourself, and you you respect your unique individuality, and that means you respect everybody and everyone else's. Has to be. And if you don't respect your own unique individuality and value and absolute value, okay, that's prerequisite. Huh? Uh, that's the Buddhist teaching. Okay. And so when Bill Toyo, I, just recently, I think 
that within the last year he went to Burning Man. Yeah, I don't know if people know about Burning Man uh, in the Black Rock Desert in Nevada. It's been about I don't know how many years they've been doing that every summer. Uh, uh, look it up, Google that. But you get all kind of diversity at this event. You know, all kind of people living their life and expressing themselves in creative individual expression. And it's all good. Huh? You could see it. Okay. Uh, everything's open. And it opens your mind, it opens your spirit. Huh? No intolerance of diversity. Um, <laughs> uh, also, I, <laughs> I can't help, but I don't want to embarrass Bill Toyo, but I was saying that, you know, a lot of times we shared stories and stuff. And he said uh, one time, he said, you know, I was always like this, uh, being wanting to share and everything. And even when I was a little boy riding on the bus home from school, there was another boy sitting there that didn't have shoes. And I asked him, how come, you know, you don't have shoes? He said, why? I don't have shoes. And, and so he took off his shoes and he gave his shoes to this boy. And he's a young boy too. And he came home and parents said, hey, where's your shoes? He said, oh, he gave them to that boy. He said, that's a really unique story. So anyway, I think I hope that all of us always are challenging ourselves to manifest our Buddha nature. That's a good way to put it. We've got that. That was that is what know yourself means to realize. Okay, when people say that you know this word is becoming universal. Namaste, huh? That's not just a Hindu or Sanskrit word anymore. It's it's permeated. It's gone beyond. It, it touches humanity. I respect the sacred in you. Holy mackerel, man! Well. <laughs> Oh, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, indeed, keep going, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you.